It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. Today's guest is hardly an unknown, but she's not that effervescently pointless thing, a celebrity. She's Claire Balding, someone who's known to everyone as a sports journalist, a rambler, an author, and a mad racegoer. Claire, what do you think you are? I think I'm a broadcaster. Um, and I mean it in the, as in a, I broadcast to the broadest possible audience. I'm not a I'm not a specialist in an age of specialists, and that's um, maybe a weakness, but it's, it certainly makes me unusual. I like doing multi-event, big events like the Olympics and the Winter Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and things that are, you know, you need to know lots of different sorts of information at the same time. I love that challenge. And, um, you know, with, with my writing, I guess I'm a, I'm a storyteller, which sounds like a right cliche, doesn't it? But essentially, that's what we do, in, in, whether it's on radio or television or, or on the page, is make people interested in the stories we're telling. And You mentioned the Olympics. The Olympics were cancelled this year. What sort of a year have you had? It's been very strange. I've never had an emptier diary. Um, and I struggled a bit. There were times when I just thought, oh, is it... When I thought it might not happen next year, um, I was... Yes, I was sort of staring into a hole thinking, what's what's going to be, what will be? Because I'm freelance, so it is difficult. You know, you suddenly, if you're not working, you're not getting paid either. Luckily, and as someone said to me the other day, you've got to be able to change lanes, otherwise you get stuck in traffic. Um, luckily, I can write. And so I had two writing projects on the go, and that kept me um, intellectually stimulated and gave me something to do and also meant I had, I still had a career. <laughs> You're a happy person, do you think? Yeah, I am. I'm very happy. I'm generally, as long as I can walk and get outside and make the most of natural light, I am very upbeat. I'm very positive and I'm not unrealistic, but I'm just, I'm very content. I have a lovely life um, and I, 
Yeah, I think I am, essentially, is the short answer to your question, yes. One thing I have to know, are you really a great-granddaughter of Oliver Cromwell? No. I don't know where that's come from. And, um, I, I mean, it, when I did Who Do You Think You Are, I did find out things that I didn't know, such as I go, I, my... Um, one of my ancestors going right, right, right back was the first European woman ever born in New York, or certainly in, we think in America, but in New York. And she was called Sarah Rapaye, and I never knew that. And my father's side of the family through his mother was really interesting. And they go back to the Dutch, the original Dutch settlers. Um, my mother's side of the family certainly have prime ministers in them, but not... But but not the man who 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 would reign, as it were, as a as a political leader. No, there's no Oliver Cromwell there. Are you posh? Um, I think I'm a mixture of my mother's family of a very sort of ancient aristocracy, Earl of Derby, and all that. So yes, technically, my father's side of the family very different. Um, so I think I'm a bit of a mixture of everything, to be honest. You're from a racing family. Yes. Now, my producer's a gambling addict. Your brother has got four runners at Kempton. Any of them worth backing? <laughs> I haven't even looked at them, to be honest, so I don't know. I, I'm not much of a gambler myself. I have the odd bet on golf, which I enjoy. I might occasionally have something on darts if I'm watching it. Um, racing is really difficult, really difficult, and that's why bookmakers like it so much. Um, my brother's horse won the 2000 guineas at the beginning of the season he's had an amazing season and i did i did back cameco at 10 to 1 not for very much to be honest but um you know i do them i do that out of loyalty more than anything i can't believe you're interested in darts as well i love darts jeremy you'd love darts oh let's get you to ali pally that would be brilliant Honestly, if they've got crowds back, maybe maybe not this January, December, January, but the year after, and everyone comes in fancy dress, uh, you, honestly, <laughs> it would make me laugh so much to see you at the darts. And to, it would not and make to... me laugh. <laughs> that would make it even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> now, this book of yours, you obviously love animals. Why didn't you want to work in the family trade and be around horses all the time? Well, I might have done. I think there was a time when I certainly might have done. Um, but my brother was always the one who was going to train racehorses. So I slightly took the attitude that I better find something else to do. And I was very determined to be financially independent. I didn't want to be living at home. And the trouble is, if you've got horses, you need space to keep them. And it would be foolish to walk away from a place that had, you know, 150 stables and endless, you know, areas in which you could exercise. You get them in the flat. No, couldn't get them in the flat. And I wanted to do my own thing. I was quite, um, quite driven to be, you know, it, again, it, it's the danger is you end up sounding cliched. But I think this is true of many people when they're sort of 18, 19, 20, you've got that classic decision to make. Do I, you, you know, do I follow the family trade? And lots of people will have come from family businesses. Do I do the same thing? All the contacts are there. The foundations have already been laid. It's e it's easier to, to, you know, you could make a right mess of it, and I probably would have done, but it, it, the start is easier and it doesn't surprise anyone. Or do you say, I'm going to do something completely different, something no one in the family's ever done before. I'm going to see if I can make it on my own. And if I can't, at least I tried. And that's what I decided to do. 
are you worried about the future of racing? I mean, you're not atypical. Lots of young people don't go into it. It's not a fashionable sport. I, I'm encouraged by the fact that I think they're doing a lot through education and using their, I, I believe there are quite clever ways of using sport to teach various subjects. So whether you're teaching history or geography or economics, um, you can teach that through sports and sporting events rather than through war, which is what we've traditionally done. But I think rather like um, going into any business that is hard work, it's if you can do something that doesn't involve getting up at five in the morning and doing sort of physical labour and being out in all sorts of weather, you might choose to do something a little easier. Um, I do think people, st I think people feel very connected to animals and I do think lockdown has emphasised that. Um, and there is a beauty to the thoroughbred racehorse that I think makes it on the, a more visually attractive sport than almost anything. Um, because seeing them at full stretch or seeing them leaping. You remember those pictures of Desert Orchid, you know, taking off five strides before a fence? I saw Desert Orchid once yeah. at Campton, and God, it was exciting. Well, that's the thing. There is a real thrill to it as a, as a sport, and there is a, you know, it builds up. You need to know quite a lot, and you're rewarded for that. And I think that people quite enjoy being tested i think they quite like information you know i i'm not i'm not a believer in the dumbing down of television and as you know presenting a quiz show that is quite difficult to understand the questions let alone come up with an answer um pe people do enjoy it though and and i think racing is difficult and unashamedly difficult you but the more you learn about it the more you enjoy it um so i mean there are aspects i do worry about but it's not you know i I don't present it anymore, so I watch it more as a fan, and I'm involved a bit with Epsom Racecourse on the board there. Um, there are, yeah, I, I think it needs to stay alert, and I think it may need to do what cricket's done and reinvent itself slightly on certain days at a, certain events for a younger audience. But I'm also very conscious that for an older audience, it's a really safe sport. It's a very comfortable sport to go to. And if we provided more warm areas for people to sit down, read a newspaper and drink a cup of coffee, they'd be there from 10 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. Give them good food, give them somewhere warm, give them entertainment to watch and, and all will be well. Now, this book you've written about animals, heroic animals, a hundred amazing creatures, great and small. What possessed you to write it? <laughs> well, luckily, I ended up having a lot of time when I could write it. <laughs> I think it's, a again, a bit like using sport to examine history. You can also do it through animals. So there are animals here like Bucephalus, who goes back to the time of Alexander the Great, was his, was his very much favourite horse, uh, right up to the modern day. But there are two guide dogs in there who saved people from the Twin Towers on 9-11. On and it's really interesting seeing that through the point of view of their owners. So two blind men working in different, in fact, you know, very much in different parts of the towers. Both of them owe their lives to their dogs. And the chaos, the, the, hearing them describe the noise of people coming down, all those flights of stairs and how long it took. And one of them let go of his dog because he just thought, I can't kill my dog as well. And he sort of sent his dog away saying, we can't do this. You go, you go. And the dog came back to him. And I just, things like that, I mean, they touch me emotionally, but I just think it gives you a different viewpoint. And when you see, 
you know, Gallipoli, for the example, for example, through the eyes of a donkey um, who was transporting injured um, servicemen back to safety um, or a bear that served in the Second World War, a bear called Wojciech, who served with the Polish forces and carried artillery. I mean, heavy artillery. I mean, it's extraordinary. Pigeons, pigeons that flew back, you know, crucial messages. I, I think it's a really fascinating insight into our relationship with animals. So I was delighted to write it. I mean, it's a series of 100 short essays on a subject I find really interesting. But they're not really heroic, are they? They're, they just act on instinct. Well, it slightly depends on how you define heroism, because you could say that every soldier that was killed in the First and Second World War wasn't a hero because they didn't get a chance to decide whether they could go or not. Um, I think some, you know, heroism to me is a recognition of an individual. We bestow heroism on on others. It's not something you ever claim for yourself. um, But a hero is someone or, or some living thing that changes the course of history or has an impact on a life. And, you know, dogs that can detect cancer... I think that's that's pretty heroic. I, I'd, I'd, I'd happily debate that with you, Mr Paxman. But it's a, it's, a, it's a human value judgment. And I'm a human making it. Except you say that parrots are the most intelligent animals on Earth. Parrots are very intelligent. They're pretty clever. They not can learn a vast amount of language. They're not as clever as we are. They can't write, can they? They can't, but they're not destroying the planet, so we're not that clever. <laughs> Do you have a pet these days? Yeah, I've got two. Well, we had Archie, our Tibetan terrier, who sadly, you know, at 15 and a half this summer, we had to make that awful decision, and it still breaks my heart. Um, but we ha- we also have um, Button, the cat, had kittens uh, in the summer, and Eric is the one who remains, and he is... He's a really lovely individual. He might he might jump on my desk um, at any moment. He quite likes invading a podcast or a broadcast. He's he's very TV savvy in particular. If I'm doing anything on camera, he'll pop up on a back of a sofa. And okay, you've got an exhibitionist cat. Yes, mm, I know. I don't know where he learnt it from. It's pathetic. <laughs> was he planned? He was planned. Oh yeah, yeah. She had a, she had a litter of five. I mean, as soon as I knew the Olympics were being postponed. We And we were at that stage with Button where we had to make a decision when does she get spayed or does she have a litter of kittens? So I said to Alice, well, let's let's have a litter of kittens. I mean, we didn't know whether we... We, we spent a whole night with her as she gave birth to one after the other. It was like call the midwife. I mean, it was quite... It's quite a scary thing to be present for. And two of them definitely would have died if we hadn't been here. So we feel, we feel like we're fully qualified vet, veterinary nurses. Childbirth is bad enough, but I can't imagine watching a, a cat give birth. Well, the first one she got in the litter tray because I think she thought she needed to do a poo. So the main thing was to get her out of the litter tray before she plopped a kitten into it. Yeah. Um, and we managed. Alice did that, and then she pulled that first one out because it was breech. And then the second one, she didn't really want to know, and and so we had to wait till the third one was born to then give her the second one that she licked off the afterbirth and everything. It was yeah. It's quite, uh, it, I, there was a stage in my life when I thought I wanted to be a vet and I think before I realised how long you have to train for it and how much pressure there is on you in terms of running a business. I mean, being a vet is a really big business and you, you're in charge of it. Um, 
But I realised that night that Alice is actually much better at the medical side of things than I am. I was just like, oh, let nature take its course. It'll be fine. And she was saying, no, we have to intervene. And this is what we need to do quick. So, yeah, between us, we got it right. My dog, Derek, was one of seven puppies. He was born in Battersea Dogs Home. And the, his mother was taken in. And the, the, the first night she was in there, she gave birth to 11 puppies. Can you imagine that? I know, I know. And you, I mean, essentially, if you haven't got enough nipples for the, for the animals you're giving birth to, then you've got too many. Claire Balding discusses nipples. Well, it's true. That's true, yeah, it's fair enough. To be fair, you were discussing it back with me, so I was, that's, yeah. the, I, I was. that's the headline, I think. Claire Balding and Jeremy Paxman discuss, discuss nipples. nipples. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Isn't there a big danger, though, in this whole anthropomorphizing thing of with animals? I mean, you, you've, you've said, you've claimed, well, let's, let's leave to one side the heroic question. Hmm. I mean, a dog can home itself, I, I, and, you know, that's either heroic or it's enterprising or it's an amazing feat of memory. But it's a real worry, I think, when you start attributing human sentiments to animals do you think your dog derek yeah do you think he has feelings he certainly did when i trod on his tail earlier <laughs> so they can feel pain yes they can do you think they can feel happiness yes i do i, I do see, think, I think contentment I, yeah. uh-huh. and hunger i think and hunger and, uh, and tiredness. Hmm. See, yes. I think dogs have simplified life to the feelings that matter and the, or the essentials of life for them are very straightforward. And they are food, sleep, play and love. And that's about it. But 
I think they've got it right. And I think in many ways we would be better. I'm not making animals more human. My argument is more that humans should probably be more animal. Would you like um, to come back as a dog? I'd love to come back as a dog. Um, but I'd also, you know, having researched quite a lot of animal species that I probably didn't know a lot about, I'd quite like to come back as a dolphin. I think they are really intelligent and they have a wonderful sense of fun um, and friendship. I'd quite like to get, yeah, the African grey parrots in particular, as you mentioned, are very intelligent. Um, but I think there are also some examples in the book of things that we humans have done to animals, which are horrific. And, and I think particularly of the three animals that I feature that were sent to space, um, Lake of the Dog and Felicite the Cat and Ham the Chimpanzee. And Felicite survived and hers was only a short trip, but Ham the Chimp and, and the dog that was sent up, neither of them were ever going to make it back. And what really upset me about that was in both cases, the training they'd given was that if they pressed a button, they got a treat. And if they pressed the wrong button, they got an electric shock. Now, that's pretty brutal. But when they were sent into space, in both cases, the technology failed. And every time they pressed the button, they got an electric shock. Now, I think that's that makes me so upset about us as human beings. And I'm not, you know, and in the, the great space race, and I get excited about space and I love hearing Tim Peake speak and I'm glad that we've, we've moved on in the way that we sort of treat um, our, you know, that we experiment, that we have moved on in, in many ways. Um, but actually, I think understanding and feeling closer to animals makes us better human beings. So I am, I know what you say, there may be a danger in attributing human emotions to them, but I don't think there's any danger in respecting them slightly more than we have done in the past. And I think that's a, you know, that that's what I kind of came away from it all feeling of, God, I hope we're better now than we were. And I think in most cases we are. But this so is a religious question, isn't it? This is what? A religious question, isn't it? I mean, isn't it, doesn't it all come from Genesis, where human beings are given dominion over all the creatures of the earth? You see, my brain just doesn't think that way. I, I don't think we are any better. I think, I think we've managed to dominate. Um, but I actually think... I think we let ourselves down by... I think we we think our intelligence and our sophistication and our ability to, you know, use opposable thumbs and therefore we can do all sorts of things. I, I think we've, in many ways, let down the rest of the animals and the wild the wildlife and indeed the plant life that we share we share this space with. So I I think there's a there's an arrogance to thinking that we are the leaders. And after all, it was a human being that wrote Genesis. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't dictated by an animal, was it? It's self-indulgence just to feel like this, isn't it? What are you feeling soppy about? I don't think it's soppy. I think it's... I think I think that animals, and I'd be interested to know about your relationship with Derek and, and what you feel he's brought to I, your I life. Love him. You love him? Yes, I do. Yeah. And how... It, in, how does he you so you talked about him feeling happiness and that he can definitely feel pain when you walk him together and it's just the two of you yeah 
Is that your, in many ways, your favourite moment of the day? I do enjoy it, and uh, he's about the only thing that understands me, frankly, when I talk to him. I think there is a huge benefit in that relationship, and I think if as children we learn to respect animals, I don't think that's soppy. And also, I, I, I don't believe that, you know, being the silverback gorilla in life is always the answer. We don't always have to be alpha. We don't always have to be, you know, strong and tough and the leader and beat our chests and, you know, kind of destroy everything in our path. I think there are many ways of being human. And I think for a lot of people, having an animal in their life makes them happier, kinder, more patient. I think that's um, right. I think that's certainly, and I think we've seen it in this lockdown. I think you've seen it in the fact that so many more people have animals now than they had before they were forcibly confined with their fellow citizens of this planet. <laughs> I think lockdown might rather suit you. <laughs> I hate it, actually. I Do hate you? the fact that it, it, that it stops us treating each other as social human beings. It's... You know, you don't have eye contact, you don't smile at one another, you don't, you don't say good morning. Oh, I do, actually, I try to. But um, it, it's the assumption that somehow other human beings are bad for you. That it, and I, it. Yeah, and I wonder, a bit like puppies that are abused when they're young, I just really worry about kids getting over that. If you're... For a year of your life, when you're five or six, I'm just going to wait for that very noisy motorbike to go by. If for a year of your life, when you're five or six, so one fifth or one sixth of your life, touching another human being, being hugged by another human being, even your own grandparents, is something that you have to push away from, I think that might have very long lasting implications. And I really worry about it and I worry about it for teenagers as well that it makes communication becomes even more on online and text based and you know I love a WhatsApp group as much as anybody else and I love sending messages and sharing you know jokes and generally quickly being able to check in on someone without having to invest too much time in it great that's very convenient um, but it doesn't replace going for a walk with them or sitting around a dinner table until you all start telling stupid stories about when you were 10 you know <laughs> or 20 actually because that's even more bad behavior <laughs> um so you're right i think there are many things we miss i mean luckily because i walk a lot uh you know there was only one stage where we weren't allowed to walk with anyone but that's been a really good way to stay connected with people you know just say right let's go for a walk are you a genuine rambler then yeah, yeah. And actually, Alice and I are doing the Thames Path at the moment. So I said, during the winter, I said, look, we've got to give ourselves a challenge. You know, she'd, she's happy to walk with a golf club in her hand. And we both love playing golf. But when the golf courses got shut, that's when I really got her and said, look, I think you'll enjoy this. And she really is. I mean, the bit, the section through London. So we started at the Thames Barrier. And we've got as far now as Chertsey. So Chertsey to Staines and Windsor is our next section. And then it's on to, on to Henley, Abingdon, Oxford, and then out into 
sort of Gloucestershire, the sources near Kemble, I think. Yeah, it's been great. It's been really lovely. But yes, I do. I walk. I walk for fun as well as. Do you stay in pubs? No. What do you do? No. Um, what for the Thames Path? You mean? Yeah. Well, so far we've only been doing it uh, one day at a time. So we've been coming home because we live in, you know, we live not far from the river um, in West London. So that's been easy. But now that we're getting further afield, I think, well, we'll as soon as as soon as one's allowed to stay in hotels, I think we'll be OK, actually. Yeah, we'll stay the odd night and do two days and then come home again. And then the following week and do two more days. God, I'm so sorry. I completely forgotten you can't stay in hotels at present. Well, I think some hotels you can, but the, we, we, there have been quite a lot of this that we haven't been able to, so we just we haven't got that far yet. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Claire. I'm going to have to wrap this up now, I think. I don't know why. No, I could carry on for a bit, couldn't I? Can we go on for a bit? Are you yeah, okay? of course we can. All right. Because I'm all right, because actually I feel I'm converting you to my argument. So well, I'm, I'm not quite converting pleased. me at all. <laughs> what, you haven't got an argument? I have. You think I'm anthropomorphizing animals and that that's a dangerous, soppy thing. And I think quite the reverse. I think humans should be more animal and that would make us better as, as, as you know, sharers of this planet. And I think secretly you agree with me. No, I think that we should treat animals with respect. Yes. That's quite another thing altogether. Is Derek allowed on the sofa with you? Of course he is. Uh-huh. Is he allowed on the bed? Yes. There we go. So you're not in any way treating him like a human being? Not treating him like a human being. I'm giving him somewhere comfy to sleep. He'll, he'll mm. find it himself. That's true. But some people would believe that, you know, dogs should be kept outside in a kennel. Some people do. And I don't decry that either. I mean, lots of no. keepers that I know who have um, dogs always keep them in kennels. I think as soon as we invite them into our homes and we domesticate them, then we make them part of the family. And that in itself is a very, you know, that's a really important and powerful thing to do both ways. Um, and therefore, you've got to love them. You can't just respect them. You've got to love them, too. And you do. You said you did. I do love. I, I love Derek. Yes. I don't have any problem with admitting that. Brilliant, because that's the second headline for the Daily Mail. <laughs> After Jeremy Paxton cleverly discussed nipples, and then I love Derek, admits Jeremy Paxton. <laughs> oh, you're just tabloid fodder, Claire. Oh, I know, that's the problem. <laughs> right, well, this time I am going to stop because I can't think of anything else to ask you that's going to take us anywhere interesting. Okay, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. It's lucky we're not having lunch together then because we'd have just run out. <laughs> we are being round and round in circles. I'm so sorry. No, it's all right. I'm quite, it's quite good being tested. And um, I'm t it's good for me because I get to think about the argument I want to make. And it is dangerous, Grand. I do realise that. And I, you know, try and define what I mean by heroism in the introduction. But it is, of course, of course I'm applying. But what's the, you know, the Dickin Award, which is given for... Um, you know, heroism, and I, I can't remember what the exact definition is, but it's basically acts of bravery or yeah. heroism in, in animals. That is, that is all about us saying, God, make us feel better as human beings about what we've asked you to do. We'll give you a medal. The dog doesn't want, need a bloody medal, does it? So, 
No, it doesn't. It would just appreciate some more food, I expect. Yeah, exactly. Give it a lifetime supply of biscuits and that might be better. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Hmm. So what is your objection to the dick in the middle? This is really... Oh, uh, stop it. I've stopped recording my end. You said it was over. <laughs> yeah, it is over. It's over now. No. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just saying that is it, that backs up your argument, but the Dickey Medal, I think, is all about us as human beings making ourselves feel better. And okay, because the, right. the animals have no idea, but they do know how to do a job and get praise for it and want to do it. And when you watch a working dog like Sherlock, the fire dog who's on the back there, I watched him doing his thing and finding accelerants. And it's all he wants to do. He, he gets so excited and he's rewarded with a tennis ball. It's not even, you know, they're, they're so much better than we are. They don't need praise or... How is he or... trained? Huh? He, how is he trained? He was with a tennis ball. ball. So, so you get them to the thing they love, they get rewarded with if they do what you want them to do. So he very much bonded with the tennis ball. And then when they sent him to try and scent, um, sorry, two uses of scent there, but when they got him out to sniff out the different... Um, you know, things that he had to test for. The one thing he's trained to find is an accelerant. So he's, he's basically, he's not, he's a dog that tells you whether it was arson or not and has done so very successfully. And there's a certain type of, so, so whether it's petrol or there are other accelerants, but petrol is the most obvious one. And that's what he'll find, detect it and then point and say, here, here, here. And he's bloody good at it. Well, that's just exploiting animals, isn't it? <laughs> it's much better than using technology. It's much quicker and it's more accurate. And, and for example, using dogs to find survivors in, uh, you know, bomb wreckage. You're right. It is exploiting dogs to save human life. And in this instance, you're exploiting a dog to discover whether a crime has been committed um, and therefore catch and punish someone who might start another fire tomorrow so i think it is you, you could call it exploitation or you could call it effective use of a dog's superior senses but i don't understand why it's noble okay well i'll leave you to wrestle with that one <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, i'll leave you to it <laughs> right there you are claire balding broadcaster and tabloid queen and jolly good company too next time in a dog-friendly pub i hope with me next week is ben mcintyre connoisseur of espionage stories talking about agent sonia a woman with more lives than the proverbial cat who in a checkered career hatched a plot to blow up adolf hitler and stole nuclear secrets from britain ultimately helping to arm the soviet union with the last word in human destructiveness. Do pay attention. And in the meantime, please stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.